Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. When you get a job, you will be judged in comparison with other workers. Just as in school, your work is graded in comparison with that of your classmates. All workers in any group are so judged. One will be considered the best in the group, another the poorest, with the rest arranged in between. This first today may not be first tomorrow unless he keeps on his toes and is alert to the changes which are constantly taking place in every line of work. What do you expect to get out of your life work? Many would answer money. Money is important for the things that it will buy, and a certain amount of it is therefore necessary. As important as money, however, as a return for your work, is the satisfaction that comes from doing an interesting job as well as or better than others are doing it. Somewhere in this great land, there is a chance for you to make a living and lead a happy life. Americans have always made their own opportunities. It's up to you to make yours. Timeless advice. <laughs> Let me ask you this morning, just by a show of hands, really quickly. How many here took your first job or entered into your career thinking, this is the perfect job or this is the perfect career for me? Now, that, this, when you started, okay, entering into that, how many thought, this is, this is the perfect career for me? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you, okay. How many now of you got into that job and realized it was not at all what you expected? Yeah. This month we're talking about margin. And especially this idea that how we, we, we tend to live pushing the limits. We tend to live right on the edge. And, and, and we, it, we do it because we've bought into the lies of our culture. That says this is the way for happiness. This is the way to live. This is how to get the most out of life. Um, and that certainly happens. Certainly happens when it comes to our career. And what we're talking about this month is how in each one of these areas to step back a little bit, to start living with margin so you're not pushing the limits all the time. And, and one of the key parts of Scripture that talk a lot about these kinds of things is what is called the wisdom literature. It's the books of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, book of Job, and then the New Testament as well. Much of the gospel has some wisdom literature in it, as well as the book of James. And so there are parts of scripture that specifically address kind of the nitty-gritty day-to-day kind of how to live. And a lot of it talks about this idea of margin, how God designed us to live and how to live wisely. And today we're going to take a look at career and work, your, your profession. And it's a very, very important area because No matter how perfect your job might be, no matter how great you might feel about it, when your job becomes overloaded and you have not established margin, it begins to deteriorate. And it's not so much about getting the right job or the perfect career as much as it is approaching the job that you have in the right way. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, that is indeed a gift from God. In other words, work is God-ordained. Work is God-ordained, but work overload is not. And what we're going to talk about this morning is how to establish margin in your career. There's some really important things that you can do to do that, and we're going to kind of have to approach it really quickly. So here's the first thing. The very first thing is keep your career in a proper perspective. 
keep your career in a proper perspective. There are few things worse, few things that are worse than a job that consumes your life. Solomon, who wrote a good deal of the wisdom literature that we have in Scripture, King Solomon, um, talked about this life without margin. And, and he, had, he had everything available to him. He said, I poured myself into just acquiring stuff. I poured myself into all, I poured myself into my work. I worked as hard as I could. I took on work like it was nobody's business, you know, except my own. I just worked and worked and worked and worked. And he said, this is what he came to the end of it. Ecclesiastes 2.17. I hated life. I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. It is all meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Now, it's not because Solomon was a failure. In fact, he was a success. In fact, it was under King Solomon's reign that Israel reached its height. He was probably the most successful in terms of expanding and securing the safety and the wealth and the prosperity of the nation of Israel. He was the most successful king when it came to that. But see, that's the problem. One of the great enemies of margin in your life is success. Because success means you got to keep it going. Progress means you got to keep moving forward. And success and progress are one of the key, key enemies to margin in your life. I've mentioned before in this series Richard Swenson's book about margin. He writes this about progress. He says, for much of the 20th century, futurists and other labor experts were predicting ever shorter work weeks. In the mid-1920s, for example, Julian Huxley said that a two-day work week was inevitable because of the simple fact that, quote, the human being can consume only so much and no more. John Maynard Keyes observed in the early 1930s, when we reach the point where the world produces all the goods that it needs in two days, it is inevitable that we will, and it inevitably will, we must turn our attention to the great problem of what to do with our leisure. Forty years ago, futurists peering into their crystal balls were still predicting that one of the biggest problems for coming generations would be what to do with your abundant spare time. I remember hearing this prediction often. In 1967, for example, testimony before a Senate subcommittee claimed that by 1985, people would be working just 22 hours a week. Yeah. Exactly when they stopped talking this way, I'm not sure, but they did. (laughs) No one sits around today trying to figure out how to spend their free time. On the contrary, the topic of the conversation is usually how to get some. This is not a new problem, folks. We keep thinking someday it's going to ease up, but progress just breeds more busyness. Success just brings, breeds more pressure to succeed. That's the problem. And one of the keys that we have talked about in this series about establishing margin in your life is confessing the limits, recognizing that you have limits. You only have so much time, so much energy. You only have so much emotional resources and financial resources. You only have a limited amount. God created you as a finite being. And then you have only so much, and you have to balance that. You have to balance that between your career, your family, your relationships, your church, your community, your own personal health. And it's kind of like, you know, the the circus performer with the spinning plates. 
You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, he starts out really good. He gets the one plate up there and it's spinning really good and he's got it going really good. And then he goes over and takes another plate and gets that going and then another plate and, and he gets about four or five down and all of a sudden number one starts to wobble a little bit. So he has to run back over here and get that one going a little bit more and then number four and then he has another one and he starts spinning and he's got like 10, 12, 15 plates out there. And he keeps them all spinning. He's got to run back and forth between all of these plates because they start to wobble. He's got to spin them back and forth, back and forth and pretty soon one of them crashes. And you know what happens when one crashes? They all start to crash. Because you can only do so much. And we spend a much of our life spinning plates. And we think, I could add just one more. Because one more, what, what, what harm could one more, just one? What harm could that possibly do? But when it's added to the 15 that you're already spinning, eventually it begins to crash. Because the deal is, these are all interrelated. And one of the lies that we tell ourselves, if we can get one of them spinning really, really, really good, then it doesn't matter if all the others crash. (laughs) They're all interrelated. If you live with no margin in your finances, it means that you will have to work more to make up for the lack. And so... Marginless finances leads to marginless work style. And a marginless work style starts to cause problems at home and the family. And the family suffers. And so we start feeling guilty about all the time we're not spending with our family. So to make up for the time we're not spending with them, we buy more presents for them and more toys for them. Which leads to greater financial marginless living. Which leads to a greater workload. And it goes on and on and on. And you can't think, well, I'll just fix one area. It's a total package. And you know what gets squeezed out? You know what is the first thing in my experience with people? One of the first things that gets squeezed out is time with God. Because after all, he doesn't make you punch a time card. You know, he doesn't have these you know, expectations on your job list. So he gets squeezed out first. And the second thing to go tends to be family. And then health. And the plates all start crashing. Jesus said, let me read first Proverbs 23, 4, because this is important. It says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Jesus put it this way. What good is it for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? And we keep telling ourselves the lie that one more won't hurt. You can ask any pastor, just add, go, any pastor that you know, you ask them, and they will, I, I can almost guarantee this, every pastor will tell you, there are very, 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 very few people who walk away from faith deliberately. There are very few people that I have ever met in my life that have said, I just quit believing, I couldn't, it was, it was just a bunch, I couldn't believe it anymore, so I just left it on purpose. I have met very few people. I have met a lot of people that say things like, well, life got just kind of got a little busy. And I didn't have time anymore. And I had to go into the office on Sundays because I had to make up for what I didn't get done by Friday. And more often than not, people just drift away from faith, drift away from community. 
drift away from meaningful relationships with God and other people because they got too busy. See, the Bible gives us very, very proper perspective on all of this. It's in the Old Testament and it's in the New. Jesus himself said it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, he said, all of the law and the prophets hinge on these two. What he is saying is, the most important thing in your life is your relationship with God, your relationship with those around you. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. You need to take time to care for yourself as well. He says, those are the three things you ought to concentrate on. Love of God, love of people, loving yourself. In other words, just taking care of yourself. And I want to tell you this morning, if your career, if your job, if your work is squeezing out God, squeezing out family, squeezing out relationships, squeezing out your health, something is wrong. And it will not change until you decide to change it. It's not going to change by itself. The truth of the matter is, one day, God is going to hit the delete button on your life. Someday it's all going to come to an end. It's going to hit the delete button and nothing, nothing is going to remain except you and the people around you. Everything else goes. And in all of my years of pastoring and in all the times that I have spent with people who are in the last stages of their life, I have never had any one of them said, I wish I had spent more days at the office. (laughs) Never. I have never met one person who was close to the end of their life saying, I wish I had spent more time at my work. I wish I had closed that one more deal. Usually, if people have regrets, I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I hadn't missed my kids growing up. I wish I'd discovered earlier how much my relationship with God matters. You will never solve this problem unless you will first get a proper perspective on your career. It is not the most important thing in your life. So get things in proper perspective. Then when it comes to your work, perform your work with wisdom. Do it wisely. Because see, not only do you have limits in your resources, not only do you have limits of time, but you also have performance limits. Okay? And, and these are harder to recognize. They, they don't show up because they're not as visible. They're not, they're not as measurable, okay? You can measure how much you have in your bank account. That, there's a number there that you can apply to it and you know what it is, okay? You know how much time you have in your life for the most part. It's 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours a day. You know, you, you, you know what those limits are. But when it comes to performance limits, you don't really know them as well. And there is a curve to it. There's a performance curve. And every human being has this. And typically, typically what happens is performance increases when demands and effort increases. Okay? So when demands go up and your effort goes up, performance goes up. And that continues for quite a while. The more demand, the more you perform, the more effort, the more performance. Okay? It keeps going up. But there is a point at which it hits a limit. There is a point at which it hits a limit. And the drop-off from there is steep. (laughs) 
and it results in fatigue, which leads to exhaustion and ultimately collapse because you cannot perform at this ever-increasing level. This curve has a top to it, and it's different for every one of us. But you need to know where your limits are so you don't get there to the peak and then hit the drop-off. Everybody has performance limits. And a practical prescription for establishing margin in all of this, okay? And by the way, establishing margin for your career, for your profession, also helps you establish success. That, that's one of the things that comes out. Look at Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man who is skilled in, their, in his work? He will serve before kings. In other words, he is saying, find out what you do best. This is the prescription. The one who is skilled in his work, who performs what he does with skill and artistry and ability, they will serve before kings. They will be recognized for what they do. And they will rise to the top in their profession. So the key is, discover what it is you do best. Now, if your job is like anybody else's job, there are probably all kinds of things that come across your desk. There are all kinds of responsibilities and tasks that are part of your workload, okay? And, and, you know, maybe 25 of these things are your responsibility. But I can guarantee you, in this room, out of all those 25, there is maybe one, two, at the most three that you really excel at. The rest, you're not very good at at all. But they kind of somehow ended up on your plate or on your desk, okay? But in truth, there's probably only one, two, at the most three things that you really excel at, that you are really, really good at. You need to find out what those things are. Because here's the problem. We have all of these things at our responsibility. And here's what we tend to do. And and, and I know because I've done it. What we tend to do is concentrate and shore up our weaknesses. We spend the bulk of our time trying to get better at the things we're not good at. And then what we do is we skate in our strengths. Because we can do that. That's real easy. That comes naturally. That doesn't take much effort. That doesn't take much time. I can focus on these things that I'm not really, really good at because I know I can do the other. And so what we do is we spend our time shoring up our weaknesses and skating on our strengths. And that's a recipe for disaster. Because you're not as good as you think you are at that strength. (laughs) And though you think you're getting by skating on it, you're not. You're not not as much good to your company. You're not as good at, at, at your business. You're not as good for yourself. And so he says, find out what it is that you do best. The one who is skilled in his work will serve before kings. Find out what you do best. In fact, he says, if you do that, if you concentrate on what you do that, what you do best, he says, that's, where, that's a recipe for success. Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. In other words, even if you don't have the right tools, even if, even if it's a tougher task, if you have skill in that area, you can still make it happen. So what is your strength? What is that one thing that you do better than anybody else in your, in your profession, better than anybody else in your job, better than anyone else in, in that position at work? What is the one thing that you are best at? Two things, maybe. Whatever they are, you need to discover what they are because that's where you need to concentrate your efforts. 
And that might mean sitting down and having a conversation with your employer. And saying, you know, I know I've got a lot on my plate, and I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm not going to do that. But I don't think I'm as, best, I'm, I'm as good to this company as what I could be. And I think I can be a greater benefit to your company if I could concentrate on the things that I do well. And it might mean asking for a little change in your job description. Because if you know what you do best, and that's where you put all your energy, then that's what will bring success. And that will benefit not only you, it'll benefit your employer. It's creating margin. Because if you spend all of your time trying to get better at the things you just never will get better at, it's really a waste of time. He says, go with your strengths. Go with the things that you are skilled at. Capitalize on your strength because those are your God-given skills and abilities. And you honor God when you do what he designed you to do. Now, what do you do with the rest of the stuff? Okay, you find others to share the load. You find others who are gifted in those areas that you are not. You find others whose strengths are, are, are better than you in other areas. Proverbs 18, 15. Sometimes it's a mentor. Okay? Sometimes it's a consultant. Sometimes it might be a temp. Whatever it is. Proverbs 18, 15 says, Intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. Find someone who can help you. Especially in those areas of strength. So you can capitalize on them. If it's a consultant, if it's a mentor, if it's an advisor, find someone who can help you. And then on the other part of it, find someone who can do the work that better than you can at the ones that you're not good at. Proverbs 19.19 19 says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Does that sound familiar? He goes on and writes, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Find co-workers who are skilled at the things that you are not skilled at. If you're a business owner, hire somebody that can do what you don't do very well. If you're the head of HR, (laughs) find the right people for the right jobs. That's going to make success happen. Two are better than one. Whose abilities complement and supplement your own? Those are the ones you want to go with. I want to tell you this because I, I, learned this, I had to learn this lesson the hard way. When we first started Northgate, and, you know, of course, you know, we couldn't hire people. We, you know, it was just a few of us. I did whatever it took. And maybe you can relate to this. Maybe when you started your job, you did whatever it took to make it a success. And that meant doing things that you weren't good at, but, but somebody had to do them and there was nobody else, so you did them. And you got maybe a little proficient at it. You got pretty decent at it. You could do the job. But it got to the point where it was beyond you, but you keep doing it. See, here's what I did. In the early days, it was like whatever it took to get the church up and going. Whatever it took, you know, if it took side jobs to bring in money because the church wasn't bringing in money, you know, if it it took doing everything that needed to be done. I I printed bulletins, I picked the songs, I printed out the bulletins, you know, I, I did it all. 
And, and, and I did that for a long time, and then I finally realized, okay, I can't do it all, so I got a few other people, and they helped out, but I still kept running at this pace, and what I did when I handed off something to somebody else, that just meant I took on something else. And a lot of them were not my strengths. And I got to a point where I was just skating by on the sermon prep, because that's what I can do. I know how to stand up in front of people and talk fairly intelligently. I can do that. But it was, I wasn't spending my time there. I was spending my time on all this other stuff that I wasn't very good at because that took more work. That took more energy. So I started skating by on the things that I was good at. I started investing all my time on the things that I wasn't good at. And I got to the point where I burned myself out. Because here's what happened. When you're running at that pace and you're living that kind of a stressed in, uh, life and you're, 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 you're approaching your career with that kind of high level, you start living on adrenaline. That's what happens. And I became an adrenaline junkie. If there was another task, then take it on. Because, man, we're going to go for this and I'll just suck it up and go, you know. And boy, that gets the juices flowing and the adrenaline's pumping and I'm jazzed and I'm going and I'm strong. And now finally I hit that performance curve and the drop-off was steep. I collapsed. And I'll tell you something, folks. If you get to that point of collapse, the recovery takes a long, long, long time time you don't recover from that quickly I am still recovering from that collapse that happened three or four years ago and you know I never intended to end up that way I had people tell me you can't live your life that way you can't do ministry that way I had people preach sermons like this to me and I said yeah but you don't know my situation And every one of you were sitting there saying, well, that works good for you, but you don't know my situation. Every one of you, I know it. You are thinking to yourself, but you don't know what my job expects of me. You don't know the pressures that I am under. Having God as your boss, that's pressure. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, how do you give an excuse to him? It doesn't work. And I had people telling me, that's not the way to do ministry. And I said, yeah, I know, but it's just for a little while. If I can just get through the next thing. And I got to a point where I absolutely collapsed. Emotionally, just energy, physically, everything just shut down. Literally. And I cannot explain that feeling to anybody who has never gone through it. But I'll tell you, it's, it's scary. And the recovery from it takes a long, long time. If you do not establish margin in your career and in your profession, you are doomed to failure. Oh, you'll succeed for a long, long time. But you are doomed to failure. And the crash hurts. So find out what you do best and pour yourself into that and find others to share the load with you. And and by the way, just one, just as an aside, because it is in Proverbs and it's one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, you never can completely ignore the dirty work, okay? Proverbs 14.4, without oxen, the stable stays clean, But you need a strong ox for a large harvest, okay? No further 
comment needed on that. You get the idea. The last thing, and we've got to rush through this, but take time to recharge. Take time to recharge. Now, I know, again, there's a little bit of, I'm going to get a little pushback on this one. Because a lot of you are thinking, well, that's easy for you to say because you only work one day a week, okay? (laughs) If you only knew. You have to find ways to let go. You have got to find ways to let go. Ecclesiastes 2, 22. What does a man get for all of his toil and anxious striving? All his day is work and pain. All his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Can anybody relate to that verse at all? Even at night, his mind does not rest. Who would have thought that something written thousands of years ago would apply to today? If you are burning the candle at both ends, you are not as bright as you think. Rest is not a waste of time. It is not a waste of time. And that is really, really, really hard for us type A's to accept. Because I know if you are a type A, there's a certain amount of pride that you carry. It's like, why can't those other people live up to it like I do? And you have a very secret disdain for those who take time off. I know... You would never say it out loud, but you think it a lot. You need deliberate, intentional rest. You have to make it a part of your schedule. Again, Ecclesiastes 3. This is written by a man, by the way, who pushed the limits in every way. But he was wise enough to learn. He wrote, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. And then he lists a whole bunch of things there's time for. And he ends it saying, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Rest has its time. God has made it beautiful. You need to put it in your schedule. Years ago, I heard this, and it's just, it's helped me immensely. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. In every day, schedule in time to recharge. In every week, take a day to recharge. Every year, take some weeks to recharge. You have to put it into your schedule. And if you are one of those people, like we talked about last week, who has you know, scheduling problems, and it's like the only criteria is if there's an open date on your calendar, okay, then fill in the date with the word recharge because that'll make you feel better than writing rest, okay? Because if you write in rest, you're going to feel guilty about that. So write in there, recharge from three to five, you know, recharge, whatever it is, whatever, put it in the schedule and write it in there and put recharge because that'll make you feel like you're really accomplishing something, you type A's, and do it. Put it in your calendar. Put it in your PDA. Put it in your Blackberry. Put it in your day timer, your day runner, your day whatever. But put it in your schedule. Write it down. Because here's the truth. All of this really comes down to trust. 
It really does. Do you trust that God can lead you into successful, fruitful, meaningful work or not? Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and then your plans will succeed. Commit your work to the Lord means bring it to Him first. Not, okay, here's all the stuff I got planned, God. Please bless it. (laughs) Commit first your work to the Lord. Then your plans will succeed. Three years ago, I got an invitation to join AARP. (laughs) Any of you who are 50, you've gotten that. Because here's what I found out. They said, I don't know how they know, but they know everybody who's about to turn 50. And about three weeks before your 50th birthday, you get an invitation to join the American Association of Retired People. And I tell you, I first got it, and at first I was insulted. Well, actually, at first I was surprised. It's like, why are they sending this to me? Then I was a little insulted. How old do they think I am? (laughs) Then I got downright angry. Why are they pestering me? Because they keep sending it every three months. But here's the deal. You have a one and only life. And it goes by a lot quicker than you think. Never thought they'd see the day that I would be invited to join ARP. (laughs) But it goes by fast, folks. Goes by fast. And don't be so consumed with making a living that you forget to make a life. Psalm 91.1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Do you bow your heads with me? God has uniquely created you with gifts and talents and skills and abilities. And when you do what God created you to do, Scripture says that's a gift from God. But He also created you with limits for your own protection. So I want to ask you this morning, what do you need to do to establish margin in your professional life? Is it a matter of clarifying your perspective and your priorities? It's a matter of focusing on your strengths and finding others to help. For some of you, for some of you this morning, the very best thing you could do right now is to go home and schedule a vacation. That may be the most productive thing you could do today. Because God didn't design you to live at the limits. He designed you to live with margin. Solomon wrote, commit your work to the Lord. He will succeed commit to doing it his way and just right now make that decision and make this your prayer Lord you know the demands on my life you know what my work environment is like you know where it's wearing me out and you know how I live without margin this morning I'm going to take the steps to rectify that Guide me back to margin. Lead me back to rest. Lead me in your ways. I commit my work to you this day, O Lord. And I will learn to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
guide me in this way of wisdom, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.